This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. All right. Can, am I on? Yeah. Good. Good morning. So, oh, there you go. So we'll get started here. I'm Paul Hunt, and I, I, obviously I think I know most of you. My wife and I, Molly, have been here for uh, two and a half years. Kind of fun story if you don't know this. Uh, when we moved to England, we kind of had an option of where we could live. We could live in quite a different few places, and we did just some Google searches for churches. And uh, we planned our house hunting trip um, such that it bounded a Sunday, and we found God first on the on the internet. Came and visited the first time, and we've never left. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah. It was kind of funny. It's not often you find a pastor who says, "Wait a minute, you need to go check this church, this church, this church." But but we just have found, felt really at home. And you know, of our experience here in England, this is just the epitome. That this is the best. We love it. We love being here. Um, so we are on a series of proverbs. And, uh, and so, before I start, let me just pray really quick. So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your kindness. I thank you for your words and your truth, the grace that you bestow on us. It's undeserved. We love you and we thank you for that. I just pray that this morning that you would speak through me, that your wisdom and truth would come out, and uh, that you'd remove the flesh that is so easily in me. Um, and pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're on a, on a series of Proverbs, and if you, if you look at Proverbs, you'll, you'll know that it just gets onto these kind of repeating themes of wisdom and of, uh, of seeking counsel, using your words wisely. Um, it talks about avoiding sexual impurity. It talks about uh, the fool and the folly, and there's a lot of themes that go over and over and over. Um, you know, if you read Proverbs, you'll just find all kinds of golden nuggets. One I just recently read says, gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. So I'm going to turn sideways. And the problem is that my hair's not going along with it. It's all falling out. So, <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there. But, uh, but Proverbs has got all this wisdom. And, and uh, Howard asked me some months ago if I would do a sermon on marriage. And I thought, marriage and Proverbs. Well, that's... Interesting. I also thought it was appropriate that it, it was uh, done during the uh, Six Nations season. Uh, I used to work for a Scottishman many years ago, and he taught me the concept of a hospital pass. And I think this was a hospital pass from Howard. And, you know, that's a pass where when you get it, you get clobbered. And uh, I don't know any self-respecting man that would want to stand up and talk about marriage. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know... Fortunately, unfortunately, my lovely wife Molly is in the States, and otherwise I think I could see her over there with a few faces going, hmm, <laughs> hmm, I'm not sure about that. So, uh, so you know, I, there's a verse where Paul says, the things you want to do, you don't do, and the things I want to do, I don't, and 
Well, that's me. So, I, you know, I'm just going to say I'm going to share some things today that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart, and, uh, and I'm a master of none. And uh, so, now I just want to give you a few other things. Um, if you're sitting next to your spouse, uh, no elbows, uh, no clearing of the throat, okay? So we're going to talk about some things. If, you, if you're not married, I think you're going to find that a lot of what we're going to talk about today has bearing, and it's applicable, and, and I think you're going to take away a lot. In fact, what I would say is what I feel like the Lord put on my heart is all about things that happened actually even before marriage. So... Um, and then I'll just give you a couple other cautions. I use an American computer, so the words are up there are spelled correctly. <laughs> and, uh, and the other piece of that is I, I am here doing nuclear decommissioning, and I have uh, three different uh, presentations i got to give this week in different settings, so I'm hoping that I didn't get any of my nuclear slides mixed in there. I know that sometimes marriage can be a nuclear topic, but if they're in there, it's not on purpose. So, so anyway, so I was really thinking, you know, White Howard asked me to talk about this, and, and uh, Molly and I, we've been, we've been married coming up on 33 years. And uh, I'll get emotional, because I love that woman. But, um, I don't know why I get that way. So anyway, um, what I was going to say is, uh, is that I thought maybe Howard asked us, because there were some areas where we feel like we kind of got it down, some marriage things. So, so I thought with, I'll just go ahead and put up some highlights of the things where I feel like we've got this down. And say, that picture, that was, year, that was day one, almost 33 years ago. You know, I, I caught Molly at a weak moment, and uh, she said yes, and we've been on this grand adventure for, for these 33 years. Um, we were in the Navy, we moved off and moved all over the place with the Navy, and we settled in South Carolina and uh, raised our four kids. And then about uh, two and a half years ago, the last one went off to university, and we got a chance to just kind of reset. And I think the beautiful thing about being here in, in England is we got a chance to just kind of relook at where we are in our marriage. And, and uh, so it's been great. You know, one of the things I said, there's a lot of common themes all through Proverbs. And, you know, the idea of the righteous and the fool. And you look at those things and you say, you know, they're all through there. And they speak about us. They speak truth about us. And, uh, you know, the idea that the righteous are blessed. They walk securely. They speak wisdom. They store up knowledge. They heed discipline. They des- you know, the desires of their heart are granted. You know? And then you look at the fool. He comes to ruin. His mouth invites ruin. He ignores correction. He pleasures in evil. He gets swept away by storms. You know, his years are cut short. His, his hope attains to nothing. And, you know, my point is, you know, when you think about where we're going to go, is which one of those would you rather be? What kind of husband do you want to be? What kind of wife do you want to be? You know, it's all right there. And, uh, and, and equally important, what kind of, if you're not married, what kind of person do you want to be married to? Somebody is pursuing the righteousness or is on the, on the other side with the fool? So let me just kind of start with a kind of an interesting story here. Several months back, I was uh, visiting with a young man, and uh, it, was a, it was a great conversation. We were sitting over dinner, and, and, uh, and he's, he's living with his girlfriend, and, um, and we just started kind of talking. And I, I was around with several young people, and I just, I just was kind of trying to pull a string on so what is the deal with marriage in this, and I don't want to say this country, but you, you guys are a little ahead of us in this idea of marriage. And I, I said, James, you know, when does a person get married? You know, you guys have been living together for a long time. What's the point? And he says, well, 
here's how I kind of see it. You know, you date for a little bit, you, you think you like each other, so you decide we're going give to it, give it a go, and you move in for a while. And then you stay living together for a while, and then when the girl starts getting impatient, you ask her to marry you. You, you know, you're not really getting married, you're just engaged. And you'll, you'll be engaged for a long, long time. And then when the baby comes, or maybe after the baby comes, you finally decide, well, we'll go ahead and get married. And I thought, man, that's marriage. Mm. That's, that's kind of where it is today. And you look at some of these statistics, it's, it's just almost shocking. So these statistics were from a, a few years ago, I think 2012, 2013, does it say it there? And I don't know that you can really see, yeah. So the average age, it says that was actually around 2011, was 33 years for a male getting married. What does it say up there? 31 for a female. That's now up to 37. You know, and you say, what's going on? Well, what's going on is people are putting it off. You know, marriage is not what we all thought marriage was. It's something you do sometime later in life when kids are along and you just kind of go about it. I mean, that's kind of funny. You see people getting ready for their wedding. They've been living together for 10 years. And you think, hmm, that's an interesting arrangement. But that's the world we live in. And then the other thing that I think I just was shocked by this. So on the right is where are marriages taking place? And... Uh, we're now at 70% of marriages are performed outside the church. 70%. So I would just say, well, the concept of marriage is I think I knew it 33 years ago is something's changing. It's a little different. And, and so I, I guess I, I just want to talk for a little bit about, um, you know, where does this go? And uh, so, so I just, whole idea of we're going to get married when it's right you know, we'll practice it. If it works for me, if it works okay, maybe I'll get engaged with you. Maybe if we have a kid, maybe I'll marry you. What is all that? That's consumerism. All right? So here's this slide. It's a guy named Stanley Hauerwas from Duke University. He says, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment, necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there's someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we'll find the right person. You know, and I think the way it is today is, well, I don't find the right person. That's okay. I'll move in with another one. I'll keep going. And eventually when I'm 37 years old, I'll be a little tired of that road and I'll get married. That's where we are. And I would say that's just not what God has in store. So I want to talk just a little bit about what is God's view of marriage. And, And then... Not only what is God's view of marriage, how do we make it work? God's model. And uh, this is interesting. You know, there, there's, very, there's a few places where God starts to really dial in on marriage. And uh, there's two that we always kind of awkwardly dance. There's this one place here in Ephesians 5, we always kind of awkwardly dance around it, right? There's this idea of wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. You know, and everybody takes a deep breath, and, and nobody wants to have that conversation, right? And then it says, husbands, 
Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Now that should, if you're a male in the room, that should take your breath away. It does mine. I read it. I can hardly get through it because there's just so much packed in there about the expectations on the man and on the woman. And so you see that role, and then, you know, and I flip it back to where, I could flip back to that where other one, where my friend James's perspective of marriage, and you're thinking, we are worlds apart on where we see marriage. So we're all here in church. I'm hoping that we're all here because we're looking for a different view. So then the question is, well, this is the objective, and this is where we're supposed to model marriage. You know, and it's, it's no small thing that Jesus modeled his love for the church as his bride. So this theme of marriage and, and Jesus loving the church and us loving our wives and wives submitting to our husbands, it's all in there. So then what, how in the world do we go after that? And so I'm going to spend just a few minutes here talking about how we go after that. So let's just start with this, this next point. Here's the problem. This is the dilemma. Okay, this is where we all start. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us, and I'll put an emphasis on all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful natures and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. This is where we all start. You know, and that ruler of the prince of power of the air, that's Satan. And, you know, let's not be deceiving ourselves. This is our starting point. This is where we all come from. You know, we're all born into it. Um, We're sinners from birth. You know, we see all these cute little kids running around. They are cute as can be, but I don't think any one of us had to teach them how to sin. All right? comes pretty naturally. I, I, I listened to a sermon the other day, and the guy said, which one of us ever had to say, now stop sharing so much? <laughs> it doesn't happen. The sin thing comes naturally. You know, and if you don't believe that, wait till they grow up to be teenagers. And there's no doubt. So, <laughs> so I'm sorry. We've got a few teenagers in here. <laughs> no elbows. No, okay. So I, I think the point there is we all start in this simple place. Marriage is going to be two sinful people. And we're going to throw them together and make a mess of things. But then there's what God says. You know, the Ephesians 5 model of marriage is two people who are taking Christ-like roles. That is crazy. You know, wife is submissive to the husband just as Jesus was submissive to his father. And, Jesus, and you know, Jesus set aside his own will, his own, you know, and he focused on God and he, and he was submissive in that way. And, and then husbands, you know, we lay down our life just like Jesus laid down his life for the church. So that's the mark. We start here, we got to get there. And somewhere in the middle, we, we're, we try to decide to get married, you know. So now we got, a, we got this problem. Take two sinning people and try to shove them together, and, and what do you get? You get marriage. <laughs> In all its glory. Okay, so uh, that, 
that's what you get. You kind of stir it up a little bit. So, so, the, so the reality is we got to go from Ephesians 2 to Ephesians 5. You know, and that's what we should be journeying on. That's the process. And you know, where I'm going to get to in this is marriage is just is one of those tools that God uses to push us along on that journey. All right? So, you know, said another way, I put up some examples a little bit ago of uh, Proverbs. And, you know, this is the journey. We're going from the folly and the wicked. That's all of us. And we're trying to be on this journey to the righteousness. And, and you know, I want to pause for a second um, on a couple things. Um, golly, every time I think about my family, I want to get emotional. So, um, you know... I found that there was nothing I could do more for my kids than to pray for them. And, and this verse spurred me <clears throat> more than anything was the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I knew what was in me. You know, it wasn't good. But I knew that there was a God who loved my kids. And if, if I was going to do anything, I was going to try to be that man on the, is it the right to you guys. I didn't want to be the one on the left. <laughs> I wanted to be the man on the right, not for any other reason than I wanted my prayers to be powerful and effective. And what's a funny thing in this world today is righteousness and trying to be, pursue this life of holiness is almost viewed as wrong. You know, we're all, it's almost seen as that's a judgmental person. You know, he's, he, you know I, and I think it's a crazy thing that obedience and, and, and faith and, you know, knowing where you're going with your walk in the Lord is, is seen as a narrow-minded, I don't want to be around that person. But that's the world we live in. What I would say is we got to be on that journey from the left, from the fool and the wicked, to the righteous. And so the question I'm going to ask for everybody is where are you on that journey and what are you doing about it? All right? I think it's, it starts here. If you want, you know, marriage, this, is, this, is, this marriage thing outside of two people who love Jesus, I would put it off too. I don't know that I'd get married at 37. All right? So if, if it starts with two people who, who know the Lord. And, you know, Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. You know, um, it, it starts there. And I, I would say to young people, people that are not married, don't even look at somebody who this isn't their foundation. You know, it just doesn't work. You know, um, I, I read and listened to a lot of Tim Keller, and Tim Keller says, and I completely agree with him, marriage is a covenant between two people. You know, and it's a marriage covenant. A covenant is something that you commit to, you promise, and you're all the way in. And so that idea that 70% of marriages are outside the church, you know, Tim would say, you know what, it's still a covenant. It's still a promise. It's still a commitment. You still go after it. And I, I completely agree with that, but I think it's got to be impossible. I can't fathom pursuing marriage outside of this foundation that with two people who love Jesus. So it's the starting point. And then, so you go to Ephesians 3. Molly and I had this read at our, 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 at our wedding. And each of our kids, uh, three of them are now married, have had it married at, at their wedding. It's a, 
I just think it says the world. It says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I think that is the furnace that feeds marriage. It feeds relationships. It should be everything. It should be our all in all. I mean, we sit here and we sing about Jesus because it matters. You know, it's not because it's something we do and, and, you know, it's just, this is everything. I mean, you take this verse right here. You take two people who are rooted and grounded in love that you could know how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Just think about that. I don't think Paul prayed that not expectantly. All right? He believed that we could know the love of Jesus in all the fullness. And I think that is rich. It's real and it matters. And I think when you bring two people together with all their junk, but they're coming from a foundation of, you know what? I know a Savior and He loves me. I am loved you know, I think this idea that everybody wants to be known and be loved, that happens right here. If that doesn't happen between, I mean, it's great that you love your wife and it's great that you love your husband, but it all starts right here. And frankly, those other things just don't happen if you don't have that strong foundation. So this is where we got to stay home. We got to be right here all the time. I mean, this is, this is where we start. And, and again, I say, if you're not married, just don't even bother if you don't have somebody that you're talking to that starts right here. I'm just telling you, you're setting yourself up for a mess. So let's go to step two. I'm getting ready to get to kind of where I really want to hammer this at home, but here's the point. If what we're trying to do is get to the wise, right? That's what our journey. We're trying to uh, be that model of Christ in our, in, in our marriage and in our relationships, it all starts with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. I, I love this one. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And then he turned to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children... His brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow after me cannot be my disciple. Now, I had this picture. Here's Jesus. He's got all these people following him. Maybe that's all of us in this room, right? We're all kind of in that crowd. And he turns around and says, well, wait a minute. He says, let's just be really clear. If, I, if I'm not your all... You know, if, I am, if I'm not everything, more than your husband, your wife, your father, your mother, your children, you know, then you're not, you don't get it. Yeah. All right? You just don't get it. And I think we often don't get it. We allow so many other things 
to take precedence in our life. You name it. Whether it's our relationships, our children, our job, uh, our desires, our pursuits, happiness, contentment, comfort. We put all these things up there that we're pursuing and chasing after. And what Jesus says, those are all nothing compared to coming after me. And so I, I just, you know, I don't think we have this right in general in the church. All right? We, you know, this idea that, well, are we really pursuing righteousness? And when, when, I'm, when we say we're pursuing righteousness, is what are we really saying? Are we really pursuing Jesus? Are we putting aside everything and making number one, number one? And I dare say not. I would pretty, be pretty sure we're not all there. Now, let's be clear, we're all on this journey, right? Trying to go from Ephesians 2 to Ephesians 5, from the fool to the righteous. And so we're all on that journey. But the question is, is how important is it to us to be on that journey? You know, so um, I, I love, you know, Paul says, focusing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, I run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. That's the deal. That's the beautiful picture that we're headed for. And so if you're married or you're thinking about marriage, you're just trying to think about relationships and life. The question is, is this your number one? And I, I, you know, I just pause there. I just think you've got to challenge yourself and ask that question. And we really ought to be asking it every day. Because yes. it's not a game. It's not something light. It's not something we play with. It, this, this is it. All right? Number one, we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Number two, if we're going to move from there to here, we better make it our most important thing. And I... You know, I love this church. And I love the people in here. I have lots of conversations with people, and I think, and I'm, I'm equally guilty. I'm not saying that, but I always, I think, gosh, is number one number one? Yes. All right. So let me just talk about what that could look like. I love this. Making number one number one is not passive. All right. So here's what we said in Proverbs two: My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. Turning your ear to wisdom and implying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's, that's incredible. Look at all the actions in there. Accept my words. Store up my commands. Turn your ear to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding. Cry aloud, call out. To me, those are two verses that say, pray, 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 right? That's what he's talking about right there. And he says, search for it, look for it. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and then you will find the knowledge of God. I just love that. And so the question is, is this describe you? Does this describe me? Is this where, if we make number one, number one, then if it's really number one, this is where we are. This is where we spend our priority, our time, our life, our focus. You know? And you'll notice, I haven't said spouse yet. Right? I mean, if you want to love your wife, husbands, this is where you got to be. Moms, if you want to be, you know, the mom that you want to be, this is your focus. It's not that cute little kid. Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong, but you know what I mean. Mm. And we lose that. We do it all the time. And so, 
you know, you could do a series of sermons on this. We could talk for forever on what does it really look like to go after Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. We could just sit here. We could talk all day. I'd, I'd love to do it, but you wouldn't probably. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, and so I'm not going to go hard on this, but I was just going to ask you a few things. I think, you know, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Let's just start with that one. All right. I'll get, I, I pull this one out. You guys probably don't even recognize this thing anymore. You probably got it all right here on your phone. But this is a Bible, <laughs> the old-fashioned kind, the kind you can write in. This is kind of a side note. So I was using the Bible app, going through Proverbs and highlighting a bunch of verses, thinking, wow, this is pretty cool, this little electronic Bible. And about two weeks later, I went back there and... All the highlights have disappeared. See, I'm going to go back to pen and ink. <laughs> so, um, oh, sheesh, I wanted to find this verse. It's Deuteronomy. Um, I love this verse. It says, uh, let's see. Hear, O Lord, Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, so there it is. This is the word. This is God's word. And, you know, the point is, I think we just got to be in it. We got to pound it in all the time. Years ago, I, when I was in university, I was going to uh, this kind of Bible study, and this guy was sitting up there, and uh, he had this Bible in his hand, and he was just, he was, he was giving this incredible talk, quoting scripture just left and right, flipping pages and all this. And then when it was done, he went over and he grabbed his uh, cane, and he was blind. And I thought, whew, this guy... He's got it all right here. He's memorized it. He's got it on his heart. He's speaking. It's just flowing out of him. He is so into the word. I just thought, oh my gosh. I want to be like that. So, you know, I think we got to live right here. You know, I, I was meeting with my son. He's studying up in Edinburgh. And he's got two guys that are trying to walk this journey with him from the folly to the to the wisdom, and you know, I was just asking them, you know, where are you in putting scripture in your life? Are you memorizing? Are you, and, and I know that you guys think, oh, memorizing, oh, that's so old. <laughs> but I just tell you, if it's there, it's there. It's a good thing. And we got to spend more time here. And you, you, know, you think about all the capacity in your life, all right? And what all you shove in there, you know, um, I bet we could do more, right? You know, just so the question is, is how important is that to you? Because I, I think that's one. This other next one here, pray continually. And, I, and I'll just put it right to the next one. Take every thought. Oh, it's supposed to say captive. No, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Those are extreme ends of things, right? Every thought, pray continually. Do you think, I just think that Paul wasn't missing it when he said we could be in that space. That we are continually following the Lord. He's our priority. He's first. He's foremost. I think it's not incredible that as you go on that journey, 
more and more of your capacity could be right there in the Word, praying, pondering, meditating, contemplating. I just, it's not incredible that you could spend a lot more time there. And so, I guess the point is, this is a lifelong journey that starts with some tools, and you've got to have them. You've got to practice them. You've got to work on them. And so I would just say, know the Lord, and then if it's your priority, if it's truly your priority, if Jesus is your number one, then you're doing this stuff. You're not playing around with it, okay? You don't come on Sunday. Maybe I go to my God First Communion occasionally. You do this all the time. You're just working at it, and you're on that journey. And so um, I, I just think this is kind of a fun thing. I, I've thought about it a few times. I just think this is, this is eternity that we'll be learning and knowing Jesus, and we should be doing it now. I love this verse in John 17 where he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know thee and him who thou hast sent. Thee is God, him who thou hast sent is Jesus. So I think that's a fun thought in my mind. This is eternal life that we could know God. And I think that forever we're going to be working at this. I think in the, that God is so infinite and so eternal that we get to spend eternity learning and knowing him. Is, is that a beautiful thing? I think if you think about creation in the micro, I mean in the macro, how massive it is, I think we could study it to eternity and never understand the fullness of creation. We could study it in the micro to the atomic and subatomic for, for, for eternity and never get to the end of it. I believe that. And that's how massive and awesome and wonderful God is. And so we start that right now, though. That should be our day-to-day. So... I could stop right now because I think if you want to be the husband you want to be or the wife you want to be or the mom or the student, the worker, whatever it is that you're setting out, it all happens in right here, right? It all happens in keeping number one, number one, and then really going after it. You know, I, I used to meet with a guy and we talk about all our woes, and you know that's what guys do when they get together, and uh, and and we would just kind of, you know, I would tell him this is what I'm really working on, and he'd say he'd let all the talk go, and then he says, "What are you going to do about it?" You know, and what he was really saying is, "I want you to tell me what you're going to do about it." You know, he wanted to know what's the actionable thing I can hold you accountable for, and that you're really going to go after it. All right, so we talk about, well, I'm going to be in the Word, you know, I'm going to pray more, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be more righteous this year. But the truth is, being all those things is work. It's practice. So let's go to the next thing. Paul was on this journey, right? He was working at it, and, you know, and he said it in the context of an athlete. Uh, but here's the deal. Paul used these analogies of an, an athlete. He said, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. And then, and then and he says, no, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then he says, you know, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to win. I love this down there. He says, no, I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is Paul using all the terms of an athlete, saying, I'm going after this, and I'm going to work at it, I'm going to strive. And this is what he's calling us to do. And uh, I put a couple pictures up there. I, 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 the first guy is clearly not an athlete, but, but the story kind of really 
resonated with me. This is a guy named Sir Stanley Morgan. Anybody know Stanley Morgan? He's famous for one line, uh, Dr. Livingston, I presume. And uh, he was called after Dr. Livingston, a famous preacher in the late 1800s, got lost in the deep jungles of Africa. He was called to go after and find him. And he started off with, I think, a number of like 20 people. And, and you know, right away his horse died, everything he had, his crew people, everybody was dying. He was down to him and a couple of stragglers forging through the, this deep jungle for months and months and months. And they asked him, you know, uh, he, it, finally he comes up on him. You know, and he's the only, they're the only two white guys in, within hundreds of miles of Africa. And he walks up and says, hmm, Dr. Livingston, I presume. You know, and this is kind of a funny little quote. But the funny thing was, how did he persevere through the jungle for all those years? And what he said is, I got up every morning. I put on a clean uniform and, I, and, I, and he shaved. He shaved every morning. And what was the point? It wasn't a clean uniform. It wasn't shaving. He had a practice. He had a habit. And that idea that I have a habit and a practice and it's going to sustain me. And, and I think the same thing happens for us in our, our relationship with God and our pursuit of him. We've got to have a habit. We've got to have some practice. It's what sustains you. When things get tough and hard and you can't get through it, you've got to have some habits. And that's what's, And the next guy down here, now I know you don't know this sport, and if anybody says rounders, I'm going to have, have a word with you. Okay. <laughs> so this is Albert Pujols. He was the best batter in, in all of baseball for a number of years. He still plays. He's playing at the time for my favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals. Woo. Yeah, woo, there's one. And so Albert, by the way, loves Jesus. He's from, uh, I think, Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic. But he's a, he's a wonderful guy. He loves Jesus. Best batter in all of baseball. You'd watch him take his at-bat, and then he'd go into the dugout, and he would disappear. And, and, you, and I, you know, you wonder, what in the world? Albert just finished bat. He goes in the dugout. He disappears. What he was doing is he was quickly going down, back behind the dugout, and looking at a video of his at, of his, just his at bat, because he wanted to be better. And I think that just stuck with me. Here's a guy who's the best at his, his game, and he's striving to be better. And I just think that's what we're called to do, is strive to be better. Keep working at it. We do that in our threes, right? You should be in your threes. Mixing it up, saying, wow, I need to work on this. I need to be better. You know, I got to go. I got to go to work. So this is that whole thing, striving, buffeting your body, working at it. That's number one, number one. I'll just say one more thing on this. I think it's really important. The faith muscle, it, to me, is you can treat it like a faith muscle. Paul kind of spoke of it like a muscle. And the point is, it doesn't just happen when all of a sudden you have a catastrophe in your life and you need to rely on faith and it's there. Right? It happens in the everyday, the little things. All right? How you respond to, I lost my keys. I left my purse on the top of the car and drove off. Uh, You know, the things that, the question is, I didn't do as well as I wanted on this test. Um, You know, my meeting at work didn't go well. The question is, trusting the Lord, testing your faith muscles all the time prepares you for when you really need it. Mm -hmm. Right? When life is really hard, you don't want to be testing your faith muscle for the first time. So this is this, this, is this journey. We're testing and working on it. All right, I'm going to go through a couple of these quickly because I have more content than I can, but you'll bear with me. The next one's Proverbs 31 woman. Any, anybody who's read Proverbs 31 says, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, if you're a lady, you just put your head down, right? I don't know, I guess. You think, I can't get there. But the truth is, that's what we're headed for, and that's what it looks like, a woman who's pushing and striving after God. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go one more. Tech, turn to the next one, because this story struck me, if you're a man. So this is Abraham. 
by faith obeyed even when though he did not know where he was going, made his home in the promised land like a stranger. When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. These are all in Hebrews 11. And, and so here's Abraham. I just have this picture in my hand. He comes home and he says, Sarah, you know, you're not going to believe this, but I've, I've been speaking to the Lord and he wants us to move 500 miles or whatever it is. It's a long way. We're going to leave your family. We're going to go. I really don't even know where we're going. You just, we're just going to have to trust the Lord. We're going to go on this journey together, so we'll pack them up. And I'm thinking, how in the world did that conversation go down? <laughs> okay? All right? But the point is, and I, I'm not going to speak for wise, but I'll bet you wise, if you were married to that person on the right that was wise, that obedient, secure in his relationship with the Lord, and he came home to you and he said, Honey, I've been praying and I've been talking with the Lord. He kind of came and talked to me and we're, we're, we're off on an adventure and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll come with me. You know, and Sarah, gentle and quiet in spirit, obeyed Abraham. Now, what kind of woman is she? Spectacular. Yeah. These are two people who love the Lord that they could come into that kind of atmosphere. And I'm just saying that's what this can look like. If you make number one, number one, you strive at it, you work at it, you test your faith muscle, you bring that into your marriage, and you can get this. That's a beautiful picture to me. I, um, you know, I love this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Who wouldn't want to be married to that person? Yeah, I think we all would. All right, so I'm going to go here. Just a couple more things. I think in this process, it's not designed to be done alone. You've got to be a willing learner. You're all right? So all through Proverbs, it talks about taking counsel. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father of the son he delights in. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. He'll be like Albert Pujols, right? He'll keep working. He'll keep better. He'll be better tomorrow than he is today. You know, he who loves discipline loves knowledge. He who listens to life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. The point is, this is a chiseling thing. We've got to work at it all the time, and you need to do it in the context of people working with you. So, um, you know, I love this idea in James where it says, uh, he who listens to the word and doesn't do it is like a man who goes and looks in the mirror and forget what he looks like. Okay. And, and, and the point there is we need to be doing the things we, we need to do and we need somebody that's holding up that mirror to us and saying, hey, you're missing the mark. And you've got to have somebody that you've given the freedom to have that with you. And so what I'd say is we need to all have that. If we're truly on this journey, you can't do it alone. I think, you know, I, I don't have this husband thing right, but I'll tell you the, the, the most important thing that I've done is I've not ever been where I didn't have another man speaking into me. So if you're a man and you want to love your wife, you need to get after it. You can't mess around with that. And if you're a man thinks you want to be married sometime and you're not already there and you don't have somebody you're meeting with, somebody who has the freedom to say, call, you, call the baloney the baloney, you know what I mean, right? Yes. You gotta have that. And the same thing for women. You gotta have somebody who can speak into your life. And so then here's the last point here, and I'll get after it. The reality is this comes all the way down to marriage. This is really what marriage is all about. Marriage is the furnace, it's that refining place where we get refined. And where 
we get somebody who can really, really speak into our life. You know, I, I, I'm going to read this because it's, it's so important. The reason that marriage is so painful and yet wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. The gospel is we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe, and at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the kind of relationship that will really transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality, and it supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we can't really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are, and yet also a radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment, this strengthens us to see the truths about ourselves and repent. The the conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, great book. If you're married or thinking about getting married, I would would highly recommend it. But here's the point. You know, we go out in the world, guys. We suck up our belt a little bit. You know, we can put on our suit, control our body functions, and we head out and do our deal all day long, and then we come home, right? And we let it all out, you know? And, and, and it's only in marriage, truly, truly marriage, you know, you can have your three and you're going to see a lot of junk in a three. But if you're really honest with one another in marriage, you'll see all the junk, yes. all the flaws, all the. And the reality is, in the context of that marriage, this is the, this is the whole deal. Are you creating an atmosphere and an environment where you can speak into one another? And if you're not, you're doing what he says up here. Well, you're, you know, that where he says love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. That's tough stuff right there, because what we're saying is marriage is a place where two people can live in the raw about who they are, what they are, where they are. And they've given each other in grace the, cap- the openness to talk, to speak truth. And the question is, is in your marriage, are you doing that? And, and I'm telling you, I fail at this. It takes work. It takes so much work. And I'm against it, so I'm going to get to a couple of things I think that are important in that. I, I won't spend a lot of time on them. Let's just go really quickly. The first part of this is you've got to be able to communicate. And the truth is, they say there's these five levels of communication, greetings and cliches, where you're just kind of saying hello. You, you do that with everybody. You can share information, you know, schedules you know, facts. Then you can start talking about opinions on those facts, opinion, you know, you can, so you start having, oh, well, you know, I'm not sure that I like blue on the wall, I like red. And then you can talk about your values and your feelings. And now you're starting to get into it. You know, how do I really feel? And how am I, you know, how am I doing? And when you get down to that deepest level of intimacy and, you know, where you're talking about confession and you open yourself up to another person, all right, this is where it gets really raw. And the problem here is this, and this is my penultimate failing, is you can start down that path of getting from one to five. All it takes is a flip of your phone, a beep on your Twitter account, anything that distracts you from being right here, and you go right back to one if you're trying to have a serious and honest heart conversation. And the truth is we don't do this very well. And if you want to have intimate conversation with people, you've got to go on that path and you've got to be focused. And so I, I just think 
we have to narrow in here. And I would say I'm speaking probably more to guys than ladies, but that may not always be the case. We don't do this well. We don't foster the environment by which you get to that intimate level of conversation where you can really start talking about this is me. This is me and all my stuff. So if you're married today, and I'm just saying, are you doing this? Are you journeying on that level? This isn't speaking any other. This is just creating an atmosphere of communication. And it takes time, it takes work, it takes focus. And we don't do it very well. So go to the next one. All right. So uh, I love these couple of Proverbs. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart and good news health to the bones. The wise in heart are called discerning and pleasant words promote instruction. So in, the, in my, our nuclear practice, we are always trying to strengthen our operations. They, we got to get them right you can, for obvious reason. We got to, yeah. So we're always wanting to do well. And we're, and we're, so basically, in the end, we're, our whole thing is about shaping behaviors of the people that are work with us. So I've done a little bit of work and studying as part of just leadership and management and that kind of stuff on how do you shape behaviors. And here's one that we miss. And, and, uh, I, and I, I, we could all miss this one. The, the truth is, Positive reinforcement is four times more effective at shaping behavior than negative. Four times more effective. And the question is, how much time do you spend giving positive reinforcement? I mean, if you're a parent, this, this applies. If you want to shape the behaviors of your kids, what you do is you catch them doing the right thing and you celebrate it. You give them that feedback. But the truth is, we, in our instinctive way, are drawn to what bothers us and annoys us because we're so self-centered that that's what we're focused on. We're not focusing on building the positive. And my point is, if you want to create an atmosphere for growth in marriage, you ought to be talking four times more, at least, on the positive. And I would just challenge this. I, I don't think, in general, that that happens. And, and I just think we're missing it. And so we're, we're not creating an atmosphere where a person comes in the door and feels good about it because they know that what's piling up, right? Is that an atmosphere for giving truth and speaking love to one another? I dare say not. So that's step two, I think, in this, is you've got to speak. You've got to really reinforce that. I think it's very important. And the last thing is it is a place to communicate issues. We go to the last one here. Oh, goodness. Huh. Oh, well, can you keep going down? Does it, I prepared it in a PC and moved it to a Mac, and this is what you get. <laughs> anyway, let, oh, no, well, I'm missing some things. Well, let me just go, go down one more. That's all right, don't worry about it. Let me just tell you the feel. The truth is there comes a time when you've got to speak truth into, to each other. All right, that needs to happen. If you're not, then you're missing the whole boat on marriage. But the point is... You create an atmosphere of communication. You speak positively one another as much as you can. And then you get to a point where it's time to say something. The first thing you got to do on that is you got to check your motive. Am I doing this for me or am I doing it because I love my wife or I love my husband? That should be filter number one. All right. The next piece should be, what of this do I own? You know, it talks about remove the log in your own eye before you remove the splinter in another. The whole point there is that log is so important, so visual right in front of your face that you can't even begin to talk about another person until you talk about your own. And I think entering into, we got an issue, I think it's a lot better when you own your part of that issue first. Okay? 
So check your objective, own your own stuff, and this is, everybody who says do this says do it, and then we don't. Address the issue. It's not about the person. It's about a behavior. It's about a something. But don't make it, you know, such that you're trying to go at the soul and heart of a person. You can address the issue and not attack the person. And I think we don't do that very well. And I think the last, the last thing, oh, there it is, is you've got to create the atmosphere of, to receive feedback such that, you know, when somebody speaks to you and you just say, great, I, I got it, or thanks, and it's that shallow, if you don't own it and come back up into it and say, you know what, I, I, I hear you, I own, I understand what you're saying, and, you know, what could that look like? And you create a place where, you know what, they now will feel, oh, that didn't go so bad, I'll do it again. Oh, no, no. But, but my point is that, you know, that you create an atmosphere where you open yourself up to feedback and, you, and, and it just works. It just really, really works. So um, I, I have a picture over there of Adam and Eve because I'm guessing that they didn't have this atmosphere and environment in their home. Right? God tells Adam, don't eat of the true tree of life, right? And... And, uh, and then Eve goes, gets deceived by Satan. Where's Adam in all that? I, mean, I think most of us will have heard that story, but the truth is he didn't step in. He didn't step in and engage when he needed to speak truth in love to Eve. He didn't do it. And, and you know, here we are, all our generations later, dealing with that single failure of a husband to step into it with his wife. So I think we're called to do that. We have to do it in grace and in truth. Um, you know, it is modeling love. I just got to close on just a couple quick things. Um, this is Romans 5. I just love this thought. Not only so, we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. This is written by Paul. If Paul had been married, he, this is what he would have written. Go to the next one. Not only so, but we rejoice in our marriage. Because we know that marriage produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. All right. I, I'm going to close on one thing because I want to bring this back around to one thing. And, and several years ago, Molly and I, actually when we were dating, we went to hear a speaker named Gary Chapman, who now has written The Five Love Languages. He's done a lot of really good things um, on marriage and relationships. But he went up front and he's talking about if you want to be in a marriage or in a relationship and you want to be what you want to be, you said, you know, this is how it starts. You take two people, they love, you know, they love each other, you know, and then, you know, something happens and we're in college, so maybe a test doesn't go well. And I said, that's okay, honey, I got your back, you know, and then, you know, I didn't get accepted for the submarine program I wanted. And she said, that's okay, honey, I got your back, you know, and you, you know where I'm going with this, right? And then life goes on and then, Maybe something significant happens and you get a kid backed over by a car. Oh, my gosh. You know, and, and, and you know where we're going with this, right? So, okay, it's, it's okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know where this is going. It just gets messy. Life is hard. All these things happen and you're just trying to do this. I'm just trying to love you, honey. Oh, no, 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 I got you. That's not how it works, Right? So then, two people who love the Lord, who are chasing them with all their heart, soul, mind, and spirit, right? They've made number one, number one, 
And then this is what marriage looks like. Okay? This has stuck with me since I heard Gary say that. And I would just say this. If you're getting ready to head down the path of marriage, or you are in marriage, and you don't make number one, number one, you're cheating your family. Okay? You're cheating your family. This is all that matters. Is pursuing Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Doing it like it's training. Being serious about it, not just talking about it, but doing something about it. Which means you have discipline, you have practice, you'll work at it. And so... I'm just going to close this in a word of prayer. We're going to talk about, we're going to sing, I'm sure, because Andy does so well about focuses us on our Savior and on the cross. It all starts there, but we have to go after that. So let me just close this here real quick. Heavenly Father, I just thank you um, that your word is truth and, and, and equally so that it is truth and grace and that we can know, uh, we can be known by a Savior and he loves us still. And I just pray that we would all, in our outward workings, um, work from that foundation of being known and loved by Jesus. And give us all, through your Holy Spirit, the personal discipline to go after that with all that we have. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.